what we do here is go back, 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 back. And welcome in to episode 79. I looked it up. I, I, I got the right one this time. I made sure that I got it right. Woo! This time. We're oh, back. Of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. My name is David Seven. As always, I'm joined by my good friend Angelo Glisa as we rewatch, relive, and remember a different wrestling pay per view every single week. And this week, we got a very like short fast forward. From our last show. Last week, we watched Survivor <laughs> Series 2011. Literally two pay-per-views. We watched Royal Rumble 2012. Uh, we went forward from, like, like consecutive big four WWE pay-per-views. I think this has to be the smallest jump we've ever had between pay-per-views. It probably is. It really probably is. I mean, like, the idea that, like, yes, we have this random... Like, I mean, we are, I, I am legitimately cho- like doing these randomly. I'm, I'm not kayfabing people. I'm legitimately doing this randomly. And the, the idea that completely randomly we'd get back to back big four pay-per-views. I mean, the odds of that are not very high. You have to say. No, they are not very high, especially considering like WCW is in this. E- ECW is in this. NXT is in this, you know? Man, the I miss NXT. I could go for another NXT one. I, I'm right there with you, buddy. But the idea that we would get back-to-back big four WWE pay-per-views, not very hot. But we do. Just so happens, though, problem is it takes place during the fucking uh, the John Laurinaitis era of WWE, which I, the heel Michael Cole era of WWE, which is a time I actively fucking despise watching world wrestling entertainment. A real low but, point. Maybe not. I, I I still probably liked it more than I like WWE now, but still, it sucks. Let me tell you, it's certainly close. Uh, speaking of Laurenitis, David, I didn't run this before you had time, but I actually got a special guest for today's podcast. Oh yeah, and it is John Laurenitis. You got Johnny Ace here. I got Johnny Ace, and Holy he's got a special shit. announcement for everyone. Ready? Yes. Hey, David. It's nice to meet you. Holy but, uh, shit, Johnny Ace! What's up, man? I, I, you're 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 here on this. It's Johnny Ace. Holy shit! What's going on, man? Uh, I'm here to make a very important announcement that Angelo brought me here for, and uh, it's regarding Jake Long. What 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 happened to him? Is he falling down the well? Is he, go get I don't him, boy. Know if he's falling is he, down, is he down the well. well? Is but, he falling down the well, boy? But we've reached a point where we can't keep him back there in catering. He's eating up resources. He eats more than anyone else. So. We're going to have to wish Jake Long the best of luck on his future endeavors. Oh, that's a shame. That's a shame. That's all I got. That's all he paid me for. I'm glad that I'm glad that Johnny Ace had to break this news instead of me. I'm glad that we we got the hatchet man in here to do this. Look, he gets why he gets paid the big bucks to do. And luckily, I was able to scrap enough of our uh, anchor.fm money to pay him (laughs) for this appearance. Molly, Molly just texted me from upstairs. Asked me, what the fuck is this bit? (laughs) It's, it's it. John Laurinaitis, man. That's how doesn't that's get, what it sounds like. But yeah, that is the, the sad the sad thing that uh, we have been informed recently. The announcement is our good friend Jake Long, the third member of this podcast, uh, is, you know, can't really do it anymore. Doesn't have, uh, you know, time constraints are, uh, are you know, he's he, we're going to have to uh, future endeavor him. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is. I want everyone, all of our listeners to know that it was 
very sloppy. It was filled with drama and we all hate each other forever for it. Yeah. We will uh, never speak to him again. Yes. Um, but, but actuality, yeah. uh, we started this podcast during the pandemic when two, when I was furloughed, uh, I, I was also furloughed and Jake was currently teaching from home. So the fact that we got two years out of it, we're approaching the two year anniversary and yeah, this is, that's kind of how life works, but the podcast has never been better and I am excited to continue it with or without Jake Long. Jake, you are not part of our success. Yes. Bad. I fucking hate that guy. Yeah, he really sucks. But yeah, hopefully in the future still. Uh, we might we might we might have the uh, the old boy on every now and then if we can if we can make it work. But uh, for now, moving forward, it's going to just be the two of us. Uh, more often than not. But, you know, might have some some special guests in every now and then, hopefully. But yeah. So, but we're not we're not changing the name of the podcast. Because no, honestly, I like the fucking name. On I I honestly have always liked the name of our podcast, and I'm not going to change it for anybody. So, I spent so it. long making that logo. I Dude, am I not know. going to go back. Slaved away over a hot stove for that logo for hours. Only for like two months later for Mustafa Ali to show up with similar gear. Listen, if we listen, if I get a, if we get a cease and desist from Mustafa Ali, whatever, man. You know what? He deserves it. He deserves the bag. I think. I think he. I think it's all good. But yeah, uh, fucking speaking of Johnny Ace, his fingerprints are all over this fucking show. Oh yeah, it is. And. You know what? It's goddamn unbearable. But, you know, it's it is Royal Rumble 2012. We love a rumble, folks. We love a rumble. You got to love a rumble. And even a show like this, which is is pretty middling all the way through. They do deliver a fun rumble. It is a good I rumble. Mean, it is hard. Like the, the thing that is like. The most astonishing thing to happen this year in wrestling is the fact that the 2022 Royal Rumble sucked so much because like it is so hard to fuck up a Royal Rumble. They are just fun. They are a good time. And the 2012 Royal Rumble, even though the whole card leading up to it is pretty middling, honestly, middling at best, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Rumble, it's a fun fucking time. We love a Rumble, folks. It's it's one of the the highlights of the wrestling year every year, except for this year when they somehow made it boring and shitty. I don't know how you do that. Yeah, I mean, the Rumble for me is for bang for buck is always going to be the best pay-per-view because you can do so much with that Rumble match. You can have surprise entrance. You have a bunch of big moments. You can make guys in that. match. Like if you want the best match to start a company, having some type of Rumble is the perfect way because you get to introduce a lot of people. You get to see how they function with each other, and you kind of get an idea of where they're tiered, where they're ranked. This year's Rumble just didn't happen. I'm convinced that there was not a Royal Rumble this year. Uh, yeah. But there are other matches like that. Like That's why also why I like Money in the Bank. Money in the Bank is another great match to kind of do a lot of the same things. Obviously, it's a smaller scale, but Rumble, 30 people over the top rope. It's simple. Anyone can follow it. It's one of the, I would say, after WrestleMania, is there anything more synonymous with WWE? No, the Royal Rumble is always something that, like, you can, sh like, it is the thing you show 
people who are not wrestling fans. Like you can take somebody who has never watched wrestling before or has no interest in wrestling whatsoever and have them over for the Royal Rumble and they will have a good time. Like you do not have to care about wrestling or like wrestling. You will have a good time during the Royal Rumble. It is just one of those things that is fun for everybody every year. And this year, 2012, I mean, that's what I mean, 2012, uh, the one that we watched mm-hmm. for this show, is a fun rumble. You know, like, even in a year where I would say the WWE talent level at this time, like the talent level of the roster was not at its highest point. It's still fun. It's still fun. It's a good time. There's a lot of funny moments in it. And there's a couple, like, nice uh, surprise entrances that that's why you watch the rumble, right? Is to see who comes back, who shows up that you don't expect, who, you know, gets the big surprise pop from the crowd. There's a couple good ones in this rumble and it's a lot of fun to watch. The rest of the show is kind of like middling to bad, but that's not why you're there. Like the rest of the card is always going to be an afterthought on a Royal rumble show. Bingo. 100% of the time. I will say, though, uh, I have a question for you, but I will say this. I'm thinking of like 2020s uh, or 2021 Royal Rumble. So this is right like when the pandemic was still going on. No fans. That Royal Rumble card was insane. That's probably like one of the top to bottom because like I still remember that Kevin Owens Roman Reigns match. That was just utterly fantastic. Yeah, la- that was last man standing. That was honestly one of the best last man standing matches I've ever seen. Except for the part where they fucked up the handcuff <laughs> part. <laughs> that was like, it was like, oh man, they've got like, they had me hooked so fucking hard the whole time. I'm on the edge of my fucking seat. And then the handcuffing happens. <laughs> and it was like, just oh got no, botched. no. Yeah, that was rough. What's like, the Royal Rumble that you show people that have never watched wrestling before to try and get them to like wrestling? Oh man. Um, Honestly, and and I say this um, knowing that it's not the best Rumble, but I remember having a blast at the, I think it was 2017. 2017 Rumble, because I remember there's like some, some people who show up that you, you're not expecting. There's a couple like funny moments in it. Um, Randy Orton wins, and Randy Orton is one of those people that like people who don't watch wrestling know because they know the RKO out of nowhere. Me. <laughs> and I remember watching that rumble with several people who don't care about wrestling, and they all had a great time. Was that the one so, we watched at Jake's house or Jake's? No, apartment? I think it was the one that we watched at my apartment. I remember watching that at my apartment. I know this is one of the ones that we watched together. Yeah, but I remember being there with a number of people who didn't care about wrestling and they all loved it. Like they all had a great time at the Rumble. So I think that's not a bad show just because I have a personal experience and memory of watching that uh, that Rumble and people having a great fucking time. And also there is a, if I remember correctly, there's like a hardcore match or an ODQ match Another one between Kevin Owens and Roman Reigns that was really fucking good. And I remember 
has a spot where Kevin Owens gets thrown off the top rope through in like through like a like pile of chairs, like a, a chair pyramid <laughs> that was fucking awesome. Uh, so that would probably be mine just because I, I remember doing that exact thing and it working. So ironically, mine's also a pretty recent one and it might be recency bias, but I do think this is a really well put together one and you have a bunch of good names in here. 2020s with Drew winning uh, by after like he eliminates Brock and then goes on to like win the Rumble because I think Brock Lesnar is someone that mainstream media knows and they portray him as that monster to start off like he eliminates the first 14 guys which makes sense you kind of have to have a good start to the Rumble and even though like when we heard Lesnar's in the Rumble and he's the champion we kind of like poo pooed it they made it work they, they they ended up making that the best it could possibly be and every guy that gets in the ring with him kind of has a moment to be like, is this the guy that's going to eliminate Lesnar? Like you kind of start yeah. asking yourself that question and then you realize who, and like it goes on after he gets eliminated and you have a bunch of good names come in and uh, it obviously ends with Drew McIntyre winning someone that maybe not a lot of people know, but you're making him known because he's the guy that eliminated Lesnar and got such a huge rub and huge pop from the crowd throughout that match. Cause Drew McIntyre, not like three months earlier was doing that dog food rivalry with like, Baron Corbin and Roman Reigns that no one gave a shit about. And then he wins the rumble and everyone's going crazy. Yeah. Um, that I, I remember that one being a fucking roller coaster. Cause that was the one where Brock came out first and eliminated like the first like 14 guys. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting there like, they're not going to fucking do this. Are they like, they're not going to fucking do this. They're not going to fucking do this to me. And then drew came out and eliminated him. And it was like, Oh, that makes drew look like a fucking king. Uh, I, I do remember having like like that being an emotional roller coaster. And that was also the one where Edge came back, which of course, like, you know, everyone is losing their fucking minds. I was I watched that with Jake. Oh my God, Mark. yes. And the two of us were losing our shit. I popped like, like hell at home. And also the two of us were losing our fucking shit when Edge showed up. It's also the start of like if you think about it, the Roman Reigns heel completion. Because he's the guy that eliminates Edge at that moment. And then when COVID happens, he disappears and then comes back for SummerSlam as this mob boss persona that's been going on for the past two years. So, very huge inflection point. For, uh, you know, hey, we're approaching Mania weekend. Uh, You know, I'm ready for for Roman to lose. I'm ready for it to finally happen. I'm ready for Brock to win. I never thought I would say this. But I want that young upstart Brock Lesnar to go over. I think he needs to... I think he needs the the rub, baby. Need to fucking gas him up and shoot him to the fucking moon, ladies and gentlemen. I think Kid Roman's minus six hundred. A lot of talent, you know. But yeah, so sounds like we're ready to remember some fucking guys, man. Let's remember some guys. We're talking about the Royal Rumble in general quite a bit, so let's talk about a specific Royal Rumble. It is. January 29th, two thousand and twelve. We are at the Scott Trade Center. In St. Louis, Missouri, got a uh, 18,121 in the stands, a sold-out crowd. It is officially WrestleMania season, as we will find out who will challenge for the world title at Mania. They always will say, or they, they will say a lot of times, like, the winner will challenge for the title in the main event of WrestleMania, but we know that's not happening because the main event of WrestleMania we have known for quite a while by this point is going to be the rock versus John Cena. Well, this year they're, they've been doing the main event thing with Saturday. They have like five matches that are going to be the main event for Saturdays. 
Yeah. It's real and funny. The, and, and like the last thing that's going on, we know for a fact, is the fucking Kevin Owen, the KO show with Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> yeah, come on. Did man, you see the reason dope. why that they, they want that on last? Besides the fact that like that's the quote unquote main event, why they want that to be the main event? Why? Why specifically? I'm not sure I saw this. They don't want people to leave after seeing Steve Austin. Ugh, whatever. So they're afraid if they have Steve Austin on earlier in the show, people will just leave after seeing Stone Cold. Well, maybe have a better show then. You know, maybe like put together a card that people want to see. Yeah, I'm not that? super ex- outside of Ro- outside of Roman Brock. There's not a lot there that I'm like going yeah. for. Because I mean, yeah, I got to say. I, you know, this is uh, not an especially exciting WrestleMania for me. Like Roman Brock, like, okay, they've done that match 4,300 fucking times, but like, I am interested in it this time because they've like booked it well, but like, is there another match on the show that I'm interested in? Probably Edge and AJ. Mm -hmm. That's like it. And I guess probably uh, Becky Lynch versus Bianca Belair. Sure. If we get Seth Cody, that would be a good, that would be a fun one. Then there's 14 other matches I do not give a shit about. Related. Oh, I do not fucking care about any of this at all. I mean, look, listen, I am the biggest jackass fan you will fucking find. I don't care <laughs> about Johnny Knox. <laughs> I went to West Virginia University. I don't fucking care about Pat McAfee wrestling. Like, I don't fuck off. I don't I want to see good shit. I want to see good shit. I don't want to see Omos wrestle. I don't want to see Omos do anything. <laughs> I don't want to see this dude do shit. God, uh, God, it's it's not going to be great. Can, can, I'm, not, we, I'm not interested in this WrestleMania. Can we bury the road to WrestleMania too? Like, it's kind of cool every now and then, but it feels like they've just beat that into the ground. Like, that thing needs to go 12 feet under with, like, three layers of concrete. Yeah, I don't know. Just tired. I don't know. But anyway... But yeah, uh, 10 years ago, uh, they had some interesting stuff going on and uh, we are building towards WrestleMania 28 and we have the interminable uh, commentary booth of heel Michael Cole, Jerry the King Lawler and Booker T on the microphones for this match. And we are leading off with a steel cage match with a world heavyweight championship on the line. So they are starting hot with this one. It is the champion, Daniel Bryan, defending against two large, beefy motherfuckers who we just last week saw have a terrible match, uh, the Big Show and Mark Henry. Um, so it is Daniel Bryan, the smaller guy, defending against these two huge monsters. And the champion, D. Bry, comes out first. Uh, and it's, it's really bad because... Heel Michael Cole is just shitting all over Daniel Bryan the whole fucking time. Um, Daniel Bryan at this point has started doing the yes thing, which he originally did because he saw uh, Diego Sanchez do it in the UFC and he thought it was funny. Uh, <laughs> he's starting, he started to do the yes thing, but it's not like gotten over with the crowd yet. They haven't caught on to the yes chant and uh, it, they're not like all chanting yet. Uh, but of course it will very shortly get insanely fucking over um and really like this is kind of a you know these two big dudes uh kind of bumping meat against each other and uh you know beating brian up 
as Brian tries to, you know, sneak out of the cage at every single opportunity because he knows it's probably the only chance he has of winning this match against these two monsters is to escape the cage. Uh, but the commentary of this match, they completely ignore everything that happens during the match. They are having a long running conversation about whether Daniel Bryan had ever had a girlfriend before. He's like, he's doing the, like the kayfabe relationship with AJ Lee. Um, and they are like, Michael Cole is insisting that like Daniel Bryan was a virgin before he started dating AJ Lee. And it's like, I, who cares? The, right. The worst part of this era, Michael Cole, I know like we just saw him shit on the fink last episode, but the one that's the biggest disconnect is that he's a heel here. Daniel Bryan is also supposed to be a heel here for yeah. all intents and purposes. So, you know, heels are supposed to back up heels because that's logic. And the fact that Michael Cole still insists on shitting on Daniel Bryan, despite the fact that Daniel Bryan is working heel is by far like the biggest disconnect from fan who watches wrestling to guy watching this that like that you could possibly experience. It makes no sense whatsoever. Zero. And then you hear the crowd like right at the beginning of the match start cheering for Debry and and you realize how much noise they're pumping in for the booze. Yeah, it's not great. And like you know that that is coming directly from Vince. It's not like it's not that like Michael Cole necessarily as a person has like a thing against Daniel Bryan. It's that like this is how Vince McMahon saw Daniel Bryan. Like Vince loves to play his little games with people and he sees Daniel Bryan, even though he's like arguably the greatest wrestler who has ever fucking lived on this planet, like as a fucking, you know, uh, a nerdy fucking guy. And he wants to to bury him because of that. But obviously, Daniel Bryan is too good to be fucking buried. He's again, he's Daniel fucking Bryan. He's the greatest <laughs> wrestler who, or arguably one, arguably the greatest wrestler who ever fucking lived. Did you see his match with Wheeler Yuta last night? Holy Fantastic. shit! Who? Mwah! Chef's fucking kiss, baby. Uh, Wheeler Yuta, by the way, that boy is is uh, getting over, ladies and gentlemen. And that man popped a it. loogie. From from one worldwide dojo guy to to another worldwide uh, fucking Wheeler Yuta, hell of a hell of a hell of a career uh, ahead of that young boy. But uh, yeah, so it is it is like, this match is already not great. It's not terrible, but like uh, it's it's made so much worse by fucking <laughs> Michael Cole never shutting the fuck up and the whole commentary being derailed into this referendum on whether or not Daniel Bryan has ever had sex before. <laughs> it's like, come on, man. Like, why do, why do they think that we want to watch this? Why do they think that we are entertained by this? Anyway, again, it is show and Henry. A lot of it, them fighting each other and Daniel Bryan trying to escape the cage. A lot of your typical kind of uh, cage slamming action, people getting thrown into the fence over and over and over again. Uh, a couple cool uh, spots towards the end of this match. Um, we have Big Show hits Brian with a thrust kick, goes for the choke slam, or calls for the choke slam, but Brian comes off the ropes with a tornado DDT for a big near fall. He gets uh, Show into the yes lock, or I guess it was still called the LaBelle lock at the time, but uh, Mark Henry breaks it up. He gets Brian up for the world's strongest slam, but then show hits Henry with the KO punch. Brian breaks up the pin. 
And then Brian tries to escape the cage at the end. Show is trying to climbs up after him, trying to keep him in the cage. They're fighting on like the edge of the cage. Eventually, Brian is over the side of the cage, but Show is trying to like hold on to him by his wrist. Brian is like dangling over the floor, and eventually Show loses his grip. Brian lands on the floor, and the smallest, the smallest man in the match, Daniel Bryan, wins and retains the belt in nine minutes and eight seconds. Pretty honestly, as far as steel cage matches go, pretty fucking net, to be honest with you. I mean, yes, commentary team notwithstanding, this is, you know, it's a decent match. It's like a B minus C plus kind of range. Worse for sure. Uh, But like, I do enjoy the fact of like, you have the small guy, Daniel Bryan, and you have these two hulking monstrosities in Mark Henry and Big Show. And this is when Big Show and Mark Henry are in better shape. They're better in these matches that are kind of have some sort of stipulation, like a steel cage, like an ODQ, because you kind of see these big dudes really slugging it out. They have a smaller dude to play off of, which helps make the match not slow down. Like that was the biggest issue we had with their last match was the fact that it was just such a slog fest for 14 minutes because these are bigger dudes. They're not going to move fast. So at least with D. Bryan there, he can kind of be there to quicken the pace up a little bit when you notice that slowdown. It was paced out really well. I thought the finish was actually really kind of cool with Big Show kind of like holding Daniel Bryan up and then just losing his grip. It kind of worked with what D. Bryan was at that time. I know crowd loves him, but he is working heel. And I thought as a heel victory, it's a pretty good heel victory. And not like not when you can really replicate easily because you need the right guys in there. You need some giant like Big Show. You need a squirrely guy like Daniel Bryan. So in that regards, it was pretty fun. Uh, but yeah, it's like it's a steel cage match. You see one, you see them all. Yeah. I mean, this is a period of Daniel Bryan where it's like, obviously, he's still a heel. Uh, but he is. He, I feel like his character and the way he wrestled made sense because it's like he's a heel. But he's he's such a terrific wrestler. And it's always acknowledged kind of in kayfabe in WWE that he is genuinely a terrific wrestler because everyone knows it. And it because of that, he's very, very crafty. You know what I mean? And he mm-hmm. kind of wrestles that way and he's able to kind of get one over and, and, and steal wins when you wouldn't think he would have a chance because he's not that big because he is so crafty. You know what I mean? Here he's, he crafts himself a win when, you know, odds are as a, a guy who is, pretty normal sized for like a regular person against these two just monstrosities. You would in a steel cage, you would think he would have no chance, but he's able to figure out a way to win. Right. This match is when, when you think about it too, it is essentially when you really watch it, it's kind of a, a Brian big show, like singles match. There's not a whole lot of Mark Henry yeah. doing much. It's the one world's strongest slam. Or he goes for it and then he gets KO punched. Does a little bit. Uh, Meltzer reports that he had injured his knee like right before this. And he probably shouldn't have wrestled. Like he probably Uh. wasn't really in condition to have wrestled. This is like the period which like for me is the best period of Mark Henry's career. Um, Like the early 2010s ish. But yeah, he doesn't do a whole lot. And, you know, like I think that's for the better. but it's still, it, it does feel like it's a one-on-one match in a cage. And it's not terrible. I did like the the visual of, like, 
show hanging on to Brian as he's dangling over the side of the cage. on the top of the cage, too. I mean, that's a large man to be on top of the cage. I think it would have been really cool if they could have done something where he, like, pulled him up. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, pulled him back up onto the cage when he was, like, that would have been really cool if they had done that. Knockout punch falls to the floor anyway. Yeah, that could have been pretty cool, honestly. But, you know, it... The thing about that match is I didn't love it, but it didn't wear out its welcome too much. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I've seen worse, I guess. You know, I've definitely seen worse. So uh, not as good of an opener as the last opener. The uh, the Morrison uh, certainly not is a very good match. But again, you can see way worse shit. Also, um, the American Dragon versus the world's largest athlete versus the world's strongest man. I mean that you throw that you throw that on a billboard, people are paying gonna pay attention. A lot of worlds, uh, worlds blankiest blank in there. <laughs> uh, a lot of worlds blankiest blank. They they really fucking need to get a new nickname template. Uh, we do not have. Uh, obviously, we're building towards. Rock Cena at Mania. We don't have any actual storyline progression towards that match at the Rumble. We do have a Cena match in a little bit, but it's unrelated to the Rock feud completely. Uh, but we're still, I still need to remind you that, hey, we got this big mm-hmm. Cena Rock match coming up. So we get this big uh, John Cena like hype promo where like the whole point is like, well, you know, people boo him, but you know, the real the real smart fans actually respect John Cena now, so you should too. <laughs> Please stop booing John Cena. He's great and people like him now. The it's funny like, thing is that P- that that public service announcement is true. However, like there's a moment in there where he says there's a portion of the audience who has grown t- who's gotten tired of me seemed very Cody Road this year-ish. Yeah. Uh very <laughs> like very much the the I will not turn Cody Rhodes promo. Remember I that refuse one? to turn my yeah, back. Yeah, I you. will not turn. Yeah, um, but it's it's very much like yeah, the real smart fans, uh, you know, liked, but they they like drop the uh, the line where it's like, you know, some people love him, some people hate him, but you know what? Every time John Cena goes out there, he gets an emotional reaction from the crowd, and that That's means. True. Which they re they have reused the exact same line for Roman Reigns. Like, <laughs> they, I know I have heard them say the exact same thing about Roman when he was a babyface. Some people love him, some people hate him, but you can't deny that when he goes out there, the crowd reacts to him. <laughs> like they they just are, are pulling out the same plays from the playbook. Every everything with Madcap Moss, they're doing the go away heat <laughs> with yeah. these awful jokes. Some people love him. Some people hate him, but you cannot deny that when Mad Cat Moss gets out in the arena in front of the WWE Universe, the fans react. Mad Cap's going over Roman at SummerSlam. (laughs) Fuck. Oh, God. Some people love him. Some people hate him. But you can't deny that when Lars Sullivan, five-star Lars, gets out there. (laughs) That's a meme meme template waiting to happen. (laughs) Next up. We have an eight-woman tag team match. Uh, we have uh, the heel team of the Divas champion, Beth Phoenix, the Bella Twins, and Natalia, all of them wearing matching outfits, by the way, uh, taking on the babyface team of Kelly Kelly, Eve Torres, Alicia Fox, and uh, Tamina. 
So this is, you know, still in the aftermath of the uh, Eve versus Beth feud that we had the match on last week, which had the really, really cool uh, avalanche glam slam finish, which I, I just thought was was pretty sweet. Picture perfect. Um, and now it's sort of like, hey, we don't really have much to do here with these women. So let's just kind of all toss them into an eight uh, woman tag match and then get them the fuck out of there in five minutes. Uh, and that's exactly what they do. Um, at one point, it's it's kind of your typical 2012 Divas fair. Uh, Eve uh, twerks at one point and then does like a kind of standing like a kind of I can't really call it a, a moonsault because she does like a handspring and doesn't look impactful at all. She sort of like does like a back handspring onto I think it was Natty. Uh, and then we have uh, Michael Cole say the line, and I quote, Eve calls that the booty pop. <laughs> Why do you have to mention it? <laughs> uh, was not good last the, time, was not good this time. The Bellas do some uh, their, their twin switch in the corner. Um, they do the switch, and the announcers do not acknowledge it at all. Like, I feel like that is something that you want to point out. Like, hey, the Bellas did their twin magic fucking, you know, switcheroo on the referee. Instead, they're talking about inane bullshit the whole time, not paying attention to the match whatsoever. Um, they get the heat on Alicia Fox for a while, and Kelly Kelly gets in, does the uh, cool head scissors where she does a uh, spin a bunch of times. Handspring back up into the corner. It's a bulldog, tries to go for the pin on the one Bella, can't tell them apart. The other Bella breaks it up. Ends up turning into a big sloppy brawl, everyone fighting one another. Uh, and they're all on the outside. Kelly, Kelly does a thing where she climbs up to the top rope, dives onto everyone, and everyone falls over at once, even the people that didn't get hit. <laughs> everyone falls over like a bunch of bowling pins. Uh, we get in. Beth Phoenix tags in by slapping one of the Bellas really hard on the back. They kind of eye each other down a little bit. And then she hits the glam slam on Kelly Kelly, gets the pin in five minutes, 29 seconds. There are worse things that we've seen, uh, but like this is like your typical SmackDown eight man tag match. Like there's like going to be a shit ton of chaos. They have a moment that pops the crowd with Kelly Kelly jumping up to the top, like top rope and doing the whole wipeout thing. Uh, her Hurricane Rana got, got a little bit of pop too. And then obviously you have Beth Phoenix look like a monster, which is the whole point of this era is like she was just so dominant in every match because no one really could do what she did. Uh, out like Tamina, I guess theoretically as a powerhouse too, but she was but, very green at this time. Like she's uh, not Beth Phoenix. She was, she was green at this time, and like, can you say that she's uh, gotten significantly better previous <laughs> in, in the in the ensuing ten years? I don't know. There's some have, stuff have that you ever she's... have you ever been like, hey, I I'm looking forward to this Tamina match. Hey, she's doing stuff right now with Akira Tozawa that's apparently funny as hell on Raw. I have no. I you could not pay me pay me to pay attention to that are you kidding me they're doing a double marriage angle with dana brooke and reggie and akira tozawa and tamina riveting stuff (laughs) let me tell you riveting stuff really fucking bruce pritchard Mm, you are on your game now (laughs) brucey you are really slaying it right now buddy he is on the top of his friggin the cream rises to the top fuck that makes me sad and makes me want to watch Akira Tozawa Dragon Gate matches. Fuck me. What has happened to this lad's career? Oh, my God. He is so fucking good at wrestling. Ugh, God damn it. 
Yeah, this match is, uh, it's a 2012 Divas match. Yep. It's again, we have nothing really interesting going on. And we'll just sort of, but we, we feel like we have to have a women's match. So we'll just kind of toss them all in a match that will go on for five minutes. And then that'll be it. At least they're giving them we'll a spot. Pay, we'll, pay no, we'll pay no further mind to any of this. And this is how, for 98% of the WWF, WWE's existence, how the women have been treated. Yeah, we don't need to tell you that. You're listening to this podcast because you like wrestling. You probably are aware. Uh, but it's stupid as shit. It's stupid as shit to watch. Um, anyway. We are, so remember three months ago at Survivor Series 2011, how fucking over Zack Ryder was? Oh my God. Like, God damn, this guy, you know, he has gotten himself over. You know, he has grabbed the proverbial brass ring that Vince McMahon oh so famously likes to talk about, right? Who has grabbed the brass fucking ring like Zachary Ryder of Long Island, New York? Well, here is a, we're coming on the other side of that with one of the most fucking horrific burials that has ever happened in <laughs> WWE history. <laughs> this is what you get for getting yourself over when we didn't plan on getting you over. Uh, we get, they show the clip of Zack Ryder infamously getting fucking murdered by Kane, like destroyed, uh, leading to this match between Kane and John Cena. John Cena is like, basically standing up for Zack Ryder. But Ryder shows up in a week. Like, they, they have to make Ryder look like such a geek here because Ryder, they, they make him show up here in a wheelchair. And he's like, you know, got all this like fucking like medical equipment on and shit. Like, you know, making him just look like a fucking, you know, he, he just got murdered by Kane because he's a bitch, right? Um, and we have this segment where uh, Ryder is getting wheeled in on his wheelchair and Johnny Ace cuts him off and he's being like super patronizing to Zack Ryder. And then Eve Torres, who just wrestled, his uh, kayfabe girlfriend at the time, uh, you know, yells at Johnny Ace, uh, says a bunch of big words at him. And then, uh, you know, it says tomorrow on Raw, I hope you get fired, Johnny Ace. Fuck you. And then helps uh, Zach Ryder to his own uh, personal locker room that he's been uh, set up in. And we'll presumably be watching this match from. Uh, we may revisit this in a second. But yeah, we have Cena versus Kane. John Cena defending the honor of Zach Ryder. Um, and as, as Cena comes out, the announcers tout that he has just reached 10 million fans on Facebook. So congrats to John Cena. 10 million fans. It's a lot. I mean, a think about that now. Like, even 10, mil 10 million now is still a shit ton. Yeah, no, I mean, it is a lot. Uh, I would say, who cares? <laughs> but, why well, fuck it, man. Hey, good for him. Why not? Um, Kane comes out. This is after Kane had, like, remasked, which I never really liked the idea of. No. Uh, it's like the toothpaste is out of the fucking tube at that point. And it meant that they changed his theme song away from his like great, like 2008 era theme song, which one, like, which is an all time theme. Uh, they changed it and went back to like his original one, which is not as cool. Um, a downgrade in presentation, in my opinion. Uh, 
Kane comes out wearing like a psycho, like welder's helmet kind of. Um, and they just start fighting straight off the bell. We get the uh, let's go Cena. Cena sucks chance. Of course, uh, Cena goes for the AA early, but Kane is too big and Cena like collapses, which I'm not fucking buying because like I've seen Cena do the AA to like big the show. big show to like viscera to like massive fucking freaks. And you're telling me he can't like one minute into the match when like theoretically he should be completely fresh. He like Kane who is not nearly as big as the big show, like in terms of sheer girth, right? He, he can't hit the AA on Kane. Come on. I'm not buying that, buddy. No way. Uh, but that allows Kane to get the heat. Um, uh, Cena keeps trying to fire back, but Kane just continually cutting him off. Uh, Kane at one point puts him in the Von Eric Iron Claw for a while. Cena ends up reversing that into the STF, but Kane powers out, and Cena runs right into a side slam. Uh, Kane hits a diving clothesline, teases the choke slam. Uh, Cena fires back, cuts him off, goes for the five knuckle shuffle, but Kane uh, grabs him around the neck and big boots him. Uh, goes up top, tries to hit a superplex. Cena knocks him off the top rope, hits a super five knuckle shuffle off the off the top rope, which I don't know, or maybe it was the middle rope. I don't know if, how many times you've seen Cena do a five knuckle shuffle off the the ropes before. But that was that was something different. I kind of like that. Gets him up for the AA. Kane fights out of it. So Cena uh, drop kicks the knee, tries to go after the knee for a little bit. Kane ends up booting him out of the ring. And they start fighting on the outside and end up making their way up the entrance ramp. And the referee counts them out. So we go to a count out in this match, a double count out. Your favorite finish. Yeah. Well, you know, it's whatever. Um, in 10 minutes and 56 seconds and they wind up fighting backstage. They fight through the whole backstage area. You know, Cena throws them into a bunch of trash cans, chair shots, you know, the whole deal. Eventually they end up in, they end up at Ryder's, Zack Ryder's private dressing room and Kane fucking decides let's bury this motherfucker 10 feet deep. (laughs) And he boots in the door. He literally kicks in this fucking door. He grabs Ryder um, and he wheels Ryder out to ringside, dumps Zack Ryder out of his wheelchair, uh, gets him in the ring, uh, is beaten on him. Um, Eve runs down, is like tearfully begging him to let up on Zack. I mean, and to Eve's credit, I mean, she actually was able to she was able to get real tears out of her face in this, which I know a lot of like real actors who can't do that but she actually is able to physically cry here. So I do applaud her, her acting skills on this one. Uh, very impressive. Um, but she uh, hits, or uh, uh, Kane hits a tombstone pile driver on Zack Ryder. Um, Cena runs down, goes after Kane, but eats a choke slam himself. And uh, as Eve cries in the ring over the corpses of Zack Ryder and John Cena and the arena is bathed in red lights like they would used to do for the fiend. Uh, Kane laughs an evil laugh and the laugh of Satan himself. And uh, then the paramedics strap Zack Ryder to the, the baseboard and they, they wheel him away. 
<laughs> and uh yeah so any idea that you thought that like zach Ryder, who like three months before at madison square garden is getting cheers that were arguably bigger cheers than the rock was getting any idea that you thought that that any idea that you might have entertained that the zach Ryder was gonna get a push <laughs> fuck you buddy jokes on you <laughs> this is wwe this match is even more who cares and we have nothing better to do than the divas match we just had oh absolutely oh my god like, what? This am is i egregious. supposed to be invested in in the cena kane feud like we have been told for months that the thing that matters is cena rock so this is going to be nothing more at most than like just some weird little fucking diversion for a couple months because they can't get the rock to be there every fucking week and they're like well we got to do something with cena i guess but then like this will be dropped at the earliest fucking convenience when they can get uh, Cena and Rock back in there to build their match. You see, so, the smart thing would have been to have maybe, I don't know, a Ryder versus Kane match in that, like, make that last man standing match for this. It probably wouldn't have been good, but at least there's a storyline there somewhat based on the yeah. fact, fact that Kane was trying to bury Zack Ryder. Yeah. Uh, but no, you have to make everyone look like a Jamoke. Like this, and... Again, like, who cares about this Cena-Kane match? No one cares. The whole concept that they were trying to build this feud was that Cena won't buckle to hate. He won't feed into hate. Like, what kind of middle school storyline is that? Like, rise above hate. Like, I get that's entire Cena's shtick, but the fact that Kane is now involved with that kind of, like, feud is stupid. Kane's well, there to be a monster to punish people. He's not there to be like, you should have fallen into your hate, John. Stupid. This is the, uh, yeah, it's very like Emperor Palpatine, like, good, good. Let the hate flow through you, John Cena. <laughs> like, but no, it's, it's like, well, again, like, and I have this written down. This is followed immediately afterwards by the be a star promo. Do you remember that? Yes. Like the be a star, like anti-bullying fucking, uh, thing like that fought, like they were pushing that really hard in WWE programming at this time. Um, and it's like, yeah, they follow this match and this segment immediately with that. It's weird. Jar- it's whiplash. It's it's weird because like, yeah, in a sense, like it's like, yeah, John Cena is standing up for Zack Ryder, who is being kind of bullied by Kane. Right. And but like this be a star thing is following a segment where the bolt like the, the, the bully the, one. <laughs> The virtuous hero stands up for the guy being bullied against the bully, and then the bully fucking kicks everyone's ass and wins and gets everything that he wants. <laughs> and this is, let me say this too: this is some galaxy brain uh, burying by WWE on Zack Ryder because you think about all the ways they do it. So first of all, they make him look like a, a absolute wimp by getting destroyed by Kane, then coming into the arena in a wheelchair, uh, and this stupid looking back brace, like like a neck brace. There, there's a long history of heels and or wrestlers in neck braces and then faking the neck brace or people in wheelchair with an like uh think of diesel in the wheelchair as he fakes the leg injury like there's a way to make that work but they gave him a chest brace no yes. one makes a chest the chest brace is awful like you think of the people that have like like those scoliosis back braces now if you have scoliosis it, su- it really does suck but that's one of the most uh, like it's just bulky there's no way to make it look good at all especially as a wrestler and like they put him with Cena, Cena sticking up for him. Everyone's tired of Cena. We like we see the crowds. The crowds don't like Cena. And so what do you do with a guy that's got white hot nuclear heat because he built it up on internet and without your permission? 
Put him with Cena because guess what? Cena, no one wants Cena on their TV screen. They see Zack Ryder with John Cena. They don't want Zack Ryder on their TV screen. He's not yeah. going to get those cheers. And it's just like, as far as a burial goes, it's brilliant, but it sucks because like Zack Ryder got over and we were like, okay, cool. Now we're going to make him look at, like a jamoke. And it's- by by having this happen to Ryder on the pay-per-view after Cena was trying to stick up for him and Cena could not stop Kane and he gets choke slam at the end of the match anyway. Cena yeah. doesn't look good here either. Like Cena, like this is the guy that's challenging the Rock, a guy that can't even save Zack Ryder over a washed Kane. Really? Yeah. Uh, Galaxy brain decisions. Really is. I mean, listen. This was all an incredible crime, you know, as far as wrestling booking is concerned, but. If you want to purely like just appreciate an expertly executed burial, <laughs> like holy fuck, this is like the Mona Lisa of burials. I mean, it is like just <laughs> astonishing. Lisa of burials. It's, it's so brutal, and it's just it, it's brutal in its efficiency. You know, it it's is a Simpsons like, gif of stop. They're dead already. It is absolutely perfectly executed and devastating in every fucking way. <laughs> and then Ryder, Ryder was never the fucking same after this. I mean, it was like, really, if, if you are of a mind to appreciate, like, I, I, I never want to see anyone get buried like this ever for any reason. But if you are of a mind, if you're a sicko and you want to appreciate, like, just an incredibly executed burial, this is it. This is like the textbook example of how fucking bury somebody and make him look like a fucking bitch. Like, it's it's unbelievable. It's they incredible. buried him so hard that John Cena almost got caught up in the uh, the dirt. Well, it's it's really amazing. It's really fucking amazing. Uh, but yeah. R.I.P. to to Zack Ryder and his uh and his push and if I remember correctly, like very soon after this, as like the cherry on top, uh, like Eve Torres like left him for Cena on on like on on like uh, WWE programming, kicked him um, in the nuts at WrestleMania. I'm pretty sure too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. 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 And uh, it is, it's just like, there's the cherry on top, you know? Like, just ex- like just watching the fucking, you know, watching the Hindenburg happen in real time. Uh, like we mentioned, we have the Be A Star promo after this, featuring former world champion David Arquette uh, is on that. And then we have this big uh, rock promo, very much like the Cena one, hyping up their match and kind of putting over the rock. Um, it is, uh, a lot better, more interesting than the, uh, the, the Cena one, but they're really like, uh, putting him over as this huge worldwide superstar. Obviously the rock is not actually booked for the world rumble. He's not there. This is the only rock presence that we have. Um, again, this promo is trying to get that boots to asses line over. And you know what? Like I said, last week, the rock has had a million catchphrases, but this was not one of his best boots to asses one. No. Is The Rock the closest thing we have to like a movie superhero like in the real world? Yes. Like the guy that's super marketable, that's everywhere, that saves the day. Like it, it's The Rock. He's like really charmingly inoffensive. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like everyone likes him. Um, 
could easily like, I know he said he wouldn't want he, like he has said that he's not going to run for president, but I feel like could easily win if he did. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, this, this uh, promo package also has a video of him sending a tweet and also features an appearance from Vanessa Hudgens is in this for famous like famous rock co-star Vanessa Hudgens. Yeah, I believe from the movie he was. Well, it has. Uh, it has. Um, it's Adventure like, Island, isn't it? Adventure Island Two. Maybe yeah, I don't remember. Um, it's something like that. But it also has like exclusive footage uh, from the filming of the movie Snitch, which would come out I think the next year. Which, in terms of like kind of mid-level rock action movies, is I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's actually pretty good. You know, it's a fun watch. Uh, it's a fun watch. It has a surprisingly, surprisingly excellent cast, if I recall. Um, but yeah, it's it's there. It's the only rock content we have for the show. Next up, here's a fucking match right here. Here's another burial. Uh, we have OG run Drew McIntyre. Uh, he is facing the Funkasaurus Brodus Clay. Somebody call my mama. Somebody call my mama, Rodus Clay, the, the Funkasaurus. He's got the Funkadactyls. It's always crazy to me that this is where Naomi got her start in WWE. Yeah. Like, she has been such a mainstay and, like, an entertaining wrestler, um, someone that you really appreciate on her own, that it's weird. Like, this is where she got her start was as one of the dancers for Rodus Clay. It's Naomi and Cameron, if I remember correctly. Yes. Uh, dancing with Rodus Clay. Booker hits the clap. He hits a great shucky ducky quack quack as uh, <laughs> as Brodus Clay comes out, and they do the whole big dancing entrance, which is genuinely entertaining to watch. I have to say, um, and Drew is pissed. Drew is on the outside, uh, yelling about how Brodus Clay is mocking the business that he loves, um, and he gets in there and he wants to beat Brodus's ass. Um, Drew attacks him as Brodus is jiggling his ass. At Drew. And uh, Brodus is no-selling everything Drew does. And he's, like, dancing through it. Uh, and then hits uh, Drew with a T-bone suplex, a stinger splash, and a running crossbody, which, according to the announcers, was entitled the What the Funk is the name of this running crossbody. And Brodus Clay beats Drew McIntyre, pins future world champion Royal Rumble winner, WrestleMania main eventer Drew McIntyre in clean in one minute and five seconds. And then, uh, you know, him and the Funkadactyls dance in the ring. Think of this uh, transitive property. Brodus Clay defeats Drew McIntyre. Drew McIntyre defeats Brock Lesnar. Therefore, Brodus Clay... Is coming for Brock Lesnar after the United title. Brodus Clay has a higher power level than Brock Lesnar. Brodus Clay, it tells you if if they had put Brodus Clay in there at the Undertaker, that streak would end a lot earlier. You know what I mean? <laughs> this is just all sorts of weird to watch. Like, how bizarre is this? Like to watch, knowing how their careers went. Yeah, it's one of those like really funny like results to look back at. It's like how. Um, like the one I always think of is the, uh, ultimate warrior squashing triple H in like 40 seconds at the WrestleMania in 96, mm. like a young Hunter Hearst Helmsley gets squashed in like less than a minute by ultimate warrior. But at least like warrior at that point was like, had a career yes. and was a name 
This is Brodus freaking Clay. Yeah. But that's always one of those ones that I think about when it's just like, yeah, this guy got randomly like squashed really fast. You know what I mean? And then obviously went on to become a big star. But like, yeah, again, by that point, Warrior was a former WWF champion, like had been had been the guy picked to succeed Hulk Hogan as the star of WWF at one point, like was a big name. You know, Brodus Clay is literally Brodus fucking Clay. Brodus Clay is the fucking uh, sexual harassment on Fox News guy. You know, like he's a he's a nobody. He's a fucking nobody. And he is just squashing shit out of Drew McIntyre, who would, of course, yeah, future fucking world champion, like top star. Uh, it's hilarious to watch. But it's it's funny because like, yeah, like how far Drew has come, right? Like, because like, if you listen to the, the commentary, a big part of this storyline was, yeah, you know, people have, were high on Drew, but he keeps losing. And if he keeps if he keeps looking like a fucking uh, loser over here, he's going to lose his job. They talk multiple times about how, like, Drew is on the cusp of losing his job in WWE because he sucks at wrestling. And then here he is getting squashed in a minute. And, like, they are really trying to, to hammer home to you right now that Drew McIntyre is a loser. I'll tell right. you what, man. There's no quite. There's not a way to get a guy over, much like saying he, he's a loser. Because obviously, if he's a loser, I'm gonna be like, no, Drew's a winner. Watch him lose to Brodus Clay. Like, no, it doesn't. And they're like, well, you know, if, if you're really that good, like, uh, you'll get over with whatever they give you. I'm like, no. There, there's a limit. There's a line that you cross by saying that, oh, you should be able to get over anything. Drew was not a guy who could get a losing streak over. Brian Myers, that's a guy who could get a losing yes. streak over. There are, not that. Fucking, there are people who are like, there are people that can get over a losing streak. Absolutely. But they have to have that kind of like underdog charm. You know what I mean? Like, like somebody like, you know, a Heath Slater type who has this sort of like way of relating to the crowd as an underdog and getting behind them, right? Or yeah, like a Kurt Hawkins or somebody like that, you know? They are someone that you could potentially get a losing streak over with. Uh, but not Drew McIntyre, who's like this six foot five fucking like, you know, Scottish beast. Like, you know, looks like, you know, somebody like at least physically like someone who should, you know, be winning all the fucking time. They did. Like, I will say this, though, like if you look at what they did with Corbin last year, like that was a good template for big guy who is probably, you know, like, all intents and purposes, like, not someone that can really be pitied or get an underdog vibe for. They did a great job of that. But, like, this version of Drew well, was never going to be that. But that's also fundamentally different, though, because they completely leaned into, like, the wacky comedy angle. <laughs> where it's like, oh, yeah, he's he's fallen on this incredibly fucking, like, comic, like, run of bad luck. And now he's, like, basically homeless, you know? Like, that was, like, I feel like, that was completely different that like, this is just like, yeah, Drew McIntyre just kind of sucks at wrestling now. Yep. And he just like, is just losing and losing. And what are you going to fucking do? You know, it's not like he's, he's not doing anything funny. He's not doing anything really like unique or different. They're not he's even just, saying it's like bad luck. I mean, they're just saying he sucks. Yeah. They're always like, damn, this guy, Drew McIntyre, he's really shit in the bed lately. Isn't he? You know, if he keeps doing that, he's going to get fired. Sucks for him. More like Drew like, McIntyre. Okay, what, what, what are you supposed to get behind there? Especially because he's a heel. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? We've talked about this match longer than the match lasted. 
We ha- by by many times by <laughs> by uh, by several fucking factors there. Uh, but yeah, it's just this is one of those results that it's really funny to look at in retrospect, considering where these two guys ended up. You know what I mean? Arguably the highlight, quote unquote, of like these first five matches is the fact that Brody's really? Clay squashed Drew. Just for the sheer novelty and historical curiosity of the existence of this match. It's very, very interesting. But yeah, one more match before the Rumble. It is time for the WWE Championship match. It is CM Punk and Dolph Ziggler for the WWE Championship. CM Punk defending the title that he had just previously won from Alberto Del Rio at Survivor Series 2011 in a very good match. Uh, and this is because they they really know how to fucking, uh, you know, appeal to the masses. It's, of course, it's a John Laurinaitis centric feud. And we all love those, ladies and gentlemen. We love a feud that is centered around uh, John Laurinaitis's job performance. <laughs> hey, now, he, he, he was nice enough to stop on the podcast. I feel like we should we owe him a little bit of respect here. Yes. Yeah. Friend of the show, Johnny Ace. <laughs> um, <laughs> Johnny Ace who is the interim Raw general manager, uh, is the special guest referee. Um, But there's a little bit of tension there. Uh, He has been so comically biased against CM Punk and in previous weeks on Raw leading up to this match had openly kind of been goaded into saying that he intended on screwing CM Punk at the Royal Rumble. So, you know, leading into this, the, the board of directors has notified Johnny Ace that they are putting him under review and they are troubled by his uh, stated intention to, uh, to screw the babyface CM Punk here. So he comes out. He's appointed himself the special guest referee. Uh, he comes out wearing the sleeveless ref shirt, even though he's like a 50-year-old man and his arms aren't really, you know, He's got just kind of normal looking arms. According to Meltzer, that was a rib by Vince. Vince made him wear the sleeveless ref shirt as a Uh, rib, um, which is a very fucking Vince thing to do. Um, John Laurinaitis uh, gets a mic and says, in the interest of fairness, I'm going to oversee the refereeing from outside the ring. And uh, I'm going to let an actual ref do the refereeing. Thanks again to Johnny Ace for uh, stopping by again real quick there. Um, no problem, David. So it's uh, Johnny Ace is kind of like the enforcer, I suppose, but we actually have a real referee come out to do the referee. Um, Dolph Ziggler, of course, comes out. He has Vicky Guerrero. Um, Punk comes out, ferry over, uh, sign in the crowd that says, Real champions. Did you see the crowd that says uh, the, the sign of the crowd that said real champs come from ROH? I did not see that. Yeah, it's view. It's like fourth row hard cams, uh, easily viewable from the hard cam. Uh, I saw that and I, I nodded to myself and I was like, hell yeah, buddy. Nice. Um, we're about to ring the bell and Johnny Ace gets in the ring and he ejects Vicky Guerrero from ringside. Not allowing any bullshit to happen in this match. You know what, Johnny Ace? I applaud him for doing that. That's like a babyface thing to do, right? To to toss Vicky, you know, is going to help Dolph cheat in this match. That's I was just trying thing. to do my job. It's a babyface thing. Thank you, Johnny Ace. Uh, thank you very much for doing that. 
Now we're going to get a real fair wrestling match between CM Punk and uh, Dolph Ziggler. Of course, the first like half of this match, which is a good, very good technical match between two great workers, is the announcers uh, talking about Johnny Ace and like whether or not he was a good wrestler. <laughs> God, this uh, booth was awful. <laughs> yeah. Michael Cole is, is taking the position that uh, Johnny Ace was a good wrestler, said he was a world champ in Japan, which isn't, he was a world, he was a world tag champion in all Japan, but he wasn't a world champion. So it's a little misleading, but, and then Booker T is like, man, he sucks. Fuck you. Um, but this is a very good uh, uh, technical match, as you would expect from these two guys, uh, trading roll-ups, doing some good stuff. Uh, Punk sends him out, hits a suicide dive early in the match. Uh, he goes up top, but Dolph trips him, uh, and then starts getting the heat. Does a neck breaker and eight. I counted consecutive elbow drops at one point. Um, gets him in a sleeper hold. Dolph eventually escapes, but uh, or Punk eventually escapes the sleeper, but drops. Uh, Dolph drop kicks him. Goes for the famouser, but Punk reverses it into a sit out power bomb, which I thought was a really neat reversal there by Punk. Gets his comeback, hits the high knee bulldog combo. He calls for the GPS or the G- GPS, the GoPro. Where are we sleep. going? <laughs> the GoPro sleep, um, the, G- the GTS. But Dolph reverses it into the monkey flip. Punk like lands on the second rope, turns on, hits a cross body. I thought that looked really sweet. Um, hits the big head kick, goes up and does the Macho Man tribute elbow drop. Macho Man, of course, had died less than a year before. We had the Randy Savage chants from the crowd. A few of those on the last show, too. Um, and then we get a ref bump, sort of out of nowhere. And now this is where the fun shit begins in this match. So Punk gets Dolph into the Anaconda Vice. Dolph is tapping, but there's no referee there to count the submission. Um, and then he, right after that, Punk reverses an O'Connor roll, gets Dolph pinned, but there's no ref to count. And Johnny Ace, who I guess theoretically could get in there and count the pin and act as the referee, Johnny Ace is not watching this because he is trying to help the referee, you know, the actual referee of this match, get up and get back in there to do his job, which I personally don't see anything wrong with what Johnny Ace is doing right here, right? He's, he's not the referee. He has given up the title of referee in this match and is now trying to help the ref who's been knocked out get back into the match, right? This is not his job to count the pin and do all this shit. I don't, I, I, but Punk, nevertheless, is pissed off at Johnny Ace. Said he should have won this match twice already. Um, He threatens Johnny Ace uh, and then Dolph uh, jumps at Punk. Punk catches him up on his shoulders to try and hit the uh, GTS and he hits the GTS, but in doing so as they're kind of struggling and swinging around Dolph, like his leg catches Johnny Ace in the back of the head. Um, he hits the GTS. The referee at this point still can't count. And Johnny Ace is pissed off because he thinks that punk hit him intentionally and, you know, refuses to get in and count the pin again. I don't, I don't think that Johnny Ace is really doing anything wrong here necessarily. Um, then Punk walks over. He says, next GTS is for you, clown shoes, unquote. Uh, 
the referee eventually now at this point gets up, gets back into the ring, goes for another GTS. Dolph counters it into a Famouser for a big near fall. Goes for the zigzag, but Punk reverses it and hits the GTS and gets the pin with the pin with Johnny Ace weirdly sliding in and also counting the pin with the referee at the same time, which was a very awkward uh, little moment there. Um, and then, fair and unbiased, John Laurinaitis graciously gets the belt and hands it to the referee so they can, you know, they can raise a CM Punk's hand and he can walk off. And John Laurinaitis can say, hey, you know, I didn't screw CM Punk. I did my job. Don't fire me. CM Punk's still the champ, 14 minutes and 30 seconds. It is funny how Laurinaitis acts, how someone is supposed to exactly whenever their job is on the line. Yeah. Like, I will I will say that that got, like, a, a nice chuckle from me because I'm like, okay, I can rationalize this because he's a heel, but he wants to keep his job. So he's going to start doing, like, everything he's supposed to have been doing the entire time. Uh, but, like, I this match is hurt by the fact that the feud is not between Dolph and Punk. It's between Punk and Laurinaitis. Yeah. And it doesn't help. Like, the I will say this. The video package where they're showing Punk, like, just kind of – verbally abuse Laurinaitis. He has the mannequin of Laurinaitis and you see Laurinaitis getting really pissed off at Punk and you kind of like Zol- Dolph Ziggler in the background like, hey, you don't overlook me, which is like the perfect kind of thing for Dolph. Dolph is the perfect, you don't want to overlook me guy. But as this match goes on, it is technically good. By the end of the match, you could see that Punk is leagues out of Dolph Ziggler's. Like Dolph Ziggler yeah. could not hold a candle to Punk based on the fact that Punk dominates him down the stretch, despite the fact that you have these ref issues. Like, he's got that nice little counter, but that's it. It's just a Laurinaitis-Punk feud with Dolph there because Laurinaitis can't wrestle. Yeah, exactly. Dolph is there as, like, just sort of a plot device because, like, yeah, the real feud is between Punk and Laurinaitis. But again, Johnny Ace is, you know, 50 years old, has been retired for the ring for, like, over a decade at this point. And he's not going to get in there and wrestle CM Punk in fucking at the fucking Royal Rumble. So you need someone there. But like Dolph at every single stage of this entire feud and in this match is a complete afterthought who is never treated on Punk's level at any stage. And like, yeah, I mean, the whole thing is about John Laurinaitis. And, and to that point, and I kind of mentioned it, like, I feel like Punk kind of comes off as an asshole here. A little bit. You know, <laughs> you know as, as the babyface, it's like, yeah, I know we're not supposed to like Johnny Ace. And I genuinely didn't like Johnny Ace. I, I didn't like any of this shit. But, like, I don't see anything wrong with any of the shit that John Laurinaitis does in this match. And he does CM Punk a huge favor at the beginning by tossing Vicky Guerrero, which he hadn't done anything yet. Like, yeah. Vicky had not done anything yet to earn, like, getting tossed. And he's just like, no, fuck you, bye. But I'll say this. If Punk suddenly was all, like, chip-chip cheerio with Johnny Ace, that kind of is like a black stain on the character, more or less. Like, the character of Punk, it doesn't matter what Laurinaitis does because Laurinaitis has already lost Punk's trust. I know. I, I, I agree with you. But still, like... How about a little, how about a little bit of gratitude for John Laurinaitis for helping you out here, punk? Yeah, punk, come on, man. If that is your real name, fuck you. 
Phil. Little, come on. Like, you have plenty of well-earned gripes with John Laurinaitis, but, like, he hasn't done anything to piss you off today. <laughs> so just chill, man. Let's just wrestle a match, and you're going to win. So let's just chill, okay? Let's just let's just all get along, right? Let's just all fucking get along, you know? You've already almost got this dude fired. Like, he's in real, you know, he's, he's in real trouble here. Let's just chill. But anyway, CM Punk wins. It's fine. So we come to the reason for the season, baby. It is rumble time, ladies and gentlemen. And let's we, get ready to rumble. We get a, a you know, a, you got to love the classic rumble by the numbers video package that they the have every year. F- the first case of advanced analytics have always been the Royal Rumble numbers. Yes, that is that they they WWE invented sabermetrics with this. Um, yeah, that, that is a classic fixture of the rumble is the rumble by the numbers uh, video package. They've been doing it for years. It's always cool. Uh, it's always cool seeing all the old clips and all the all the history of the Rumble because it is such a cool match. Um, and this Rumble has a distinction of being the 25th edition of the Royal Rumble. So it is a nice little anniversary for the Royal Rumble. I'll say this. Based on how it's booked, it kind of feels like, oh, we just forgot this is the 25th anniversary. Like, they realized that, like, after they had the match planned out already. Well, I, we do have, uh, I think, a sort of neat little historical nod later on. Uh, we will get there. Uh, it's fucking time for the Rumble, baby. Uh, number one, and I always feel like you need to have somebody good at number one. And I feel like the Miz at number one, that's always a choice I can get behind. The Miz is the, is the number one spot in the 2012 uh, Royal Rumble. Um, so he gets a mic. He says, you know, everyone's been making fun of me for being the number one guy. They think I'm scared, but you know, I'm fired up. I, I believe you know, he's cuts this fired up promo. You know, I believe in myself. It's time I'm going to prove everybody wrong. I may be the first one out here, but I'm be the last man standing and I'm going to headline WrestleMania 28 because I'm the Miz and I'm awesome. Honestly, a kind of a baby face promo here by the Miz. <laughs> Love the Miz. I love this. This is one of my favorite versions of the Miz. It's just a very simple heel character that works all the time, and all his all of his promos made sense too. It rarely felt like nonsense for him. Yeah, a uh, nice little babyface promo here by Miz. And number two is the very not over Alex Riley. Uh, Alex Riley is former like kind of tag team partner protege. They had broken up by this point. Uh, they fight for a little bit, and Miz eliminates him. So Miz is one for one in the Rumble. And then at number three, we get another one of his former buddies, R-Truth. We just saw them a few months before as the Awesome Truth tag teaming in the main event at Madison Square Garden against The Rock and Cena. By this point, they have broken up. And now they're fighting. Fighting tooth and nail here early on. And we got a a run of people come in. Number four is Cody Rhodes. At uh, number five, we get Justin Gabriel flying around. Um, at number six, we get uh, Primo, the tag team Primo and Epico, uh, who at the time 
They were uh, tag team champions. Much respect to Primo and Epico because uh, they were they were in WWE for fucking ever. And like the last like six years that they were in WWE, if not more, uh, they would show up like maybe once every year or two and like wrestle like once on TV every year or two. Because uh, they were just like getting paid by WWE to wrestle at home in Puerto Rico. And like, I don't know how they got this fucking deal. Uh, but they would show up to WWE like once every two years, still getting paid the whole time and like wrestle and like be awesome. Like they were genuinely like really cool workers to watch. And then they would just disappear and go back home and chill <laughs> and collect fucking paychecks and wrestle in a fucking like WWC in Puerto Rico. They had the best fucking deal that anyone has ever had from WWE. Um, you could tell amazing. me they're still on like payroll and I believe you. I think they finally got released. Uh, I'm not. I'd be surprised if they didn't. No. Okay. Yeah, they finally got released in 2020 at the start of the pandemic. Took but that long. they they were fucking around for a long time, like a long fucking time. Uh, but yeah, they they had a hell of a deal. Um, so yeah. Uh, around this time, Miz actually eliminates our truth. Um, then Truth yanks him out of the ring, gives him a flatliner on the floor, but pulls him. He pulled him underneath the bottom. So Miz is still in the match. At number seven, big, big, big uh, Rumble surprise. It's Mick Foley, the great Mick Foley. Crowd loves him. Um, gets a big pop. He eliminates Epico uh, or uh, Epico Primo. I got them confused. Uh, he eliminates Primo. Uh, hits him with a double underhook DDT. Honestly, Mick, you know, he's he's very worn down. He's not moving around well. The crowd doesn't care. It's the rumble. He's you know, doing what he can. Play. He's doing what he can. Um, number eight, uh, we get, this is a kind of a comedy, comedy part of the match. Uh, number eight, Alberto Del Rio, uh, his music hits, right? But then a really shitty like 1989 like Dotson car comes out. This is hysterical. This is like the funniest part of the match. <laughs> you, you, you're used to Alberto coming out in like the Rolls Royce with the fancy car. Here comes an absolute fucking beater, like just piece of shit car. Um, and it's his personal <laughs> ring announcer, Ricardo Rodriguez, dressed up like Alberto. Um, and I think he had Alberto's tattoos drawn on his body. <laughs> He is cosplaying as Alberto Del Rio. Alberto is not there. But Ricardo gets in there and he's actually really over. You get like big Ricardo chants from the crowd. <laughs> um, and him and Mick fully team up and they uh, toss Justin Gabriel. And then uh, we get at number nine to a big pop. Last year, one of the final two of the Royal Rumble. And I always think about what would have happened if they had let him go over. It's Santino Morella. Um, and him and Ricardo do some comedy stuff. And then Santino like gives Ricardo Rodriguez a wedgie and throws him out of the ring while giving him a wedgie, which is fantastic. When I initially saw Ricardo Rodriguez was in this rumble, I'm like, they are really reaching at the bottom of the barrel here for entrance. But holy shit, did they make that work? That was so yeah. goddamn funny. And then Santino comes right out. And I, I will mark for Santino to the day I die. You need to have at least one comedy moment in the rumble. Just to break it up a little bit. Because there's so many opportunities to do that with so many guys. You can bring so many people in. 
and do so many different things. You need to have the rumble is a match format that lends itself to some comedy. And you know, it's, it's, this is a great comedic moment as is what happens right after this bar none. The oh single God. most electric thing to happen in this Royal Rumble is the face-off between Mick, Mick Foley and Santino. The showdown between the Cobra and Mr. Sacco. I mean, you talk about the irresistible force meeting the immovable object right there. The Cobra versus <laughs> Santino pulls out his sock and Mick pulls out his sock. I mean, this is a moment that will live forever. The crowd ignites when this fucking happens. And this is a year after Santino was the runner-up in the Royal Rumble. Yeah, exactly. Um, they face off and they are interrupted by uh, Primo who gets in there. Um, or no, number 10, Epico comes in. So the other one of the tag team, Epico runs in, they face off. They're facing off doing the uh, Mr. Sacco versus the Cobra. And then Epico runs in there immediately, eats a Cobra, eats Mr. Sacco, and he gets tossed out immediately. And as they're like showing down after this, we have the Cobra and Sako showdown. Miz and Cody get back in the ring and jump them. Uh, Mick Foley puts the Sako, the, uh, the mandible claw on the Miz, but then Cody tosses Mick Foley out. Mick is eliminated and thus ends the in-ring career of Mick Foley. That was his last ever wrestling appearance in an actual match. Really? Yes, was the 2012 Royal Rumble. It was the last time he participated in a wrestling match huh. as a competitor. Yeah. Interesting. At least he went out with something that like was memorable. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's not like, it's not like the fact that like, like technically Ric Flair's last matches were in like TNA, like, or triple H's last match is going to be a house show match. Uh, tag yeah. team match. Yeah. The fact that weirdly now, you know, now that triple H is officially retired. His last match was at a fucking house show in Japan, which is really weird. Uh, at uh, Ryu Goku, it was like him and I think it was him and Shins. I looked it up the other day. It was like him, him and Shinsuke, Shinsuke versus Joe versus, and yeah, Smojo and Robert Roode, if I remember correctly. Uh, which is just like a weird random thing that like a guy like him, his last match would be at a house show, or the fact that like Shawn Michaels' last match technically ended up being Saudi the Arabia. fucking Saudi show. <laughs> God, <laughs> so fucking bad, but yeah, at least it's like, hey, you know, Mick Foley, like they really got the crowd fucking going with this. Uh, I honestly think it's it's a really nice way for him to go out, if I'm being honest with you. Um, at number 11, we get Kofi Kingston. At number 12, starting a thread that runs through this Royal Rumble, it's Jerry the King Lawler standing up from the commentary desk, revealing that he's wearing his tights and getting in the ring. Um, and he gets eliminated almost immediately by Cody. But like the crowd really liked him standing up from the commentary desk. Uh, at number 13, we get Ezekiel Jackson and the biggest fucking pair of traps you've ever seen in your life. Holy Huge shit. shoulders. Ooh. Older fucking shoulders, buddy. God per damn. Personification of domination is a really good nickname and someone should steal that. Yeah, I, I actually I fuck with that one, too. Um, number four, it's uh, Jinder Mahal. Green um, Jinder Mahal. Before he got before he gassed himself to the moon. Um, he takes very, very, very long to get in the ring, which honestly, like, you know, from a from a like a strategic perspective is probably smart. Like you should take your time. Did you see you know, him try gonna... and work in this match, too? Did you see him try and do anything? It was bad. Like we yeah. we criticize right. his matches like in 20 with his run in 2017, 2018. 
But holy smokes, if you look at him work here versus the work he was able to do then, you realize just how far he got in six years. Not saying he came a long way, but it's definitely not that, not that his yeah, not that his work later was good, but like at least he was presented in a cool way. Like here it's like bad work, but also like who gives a shit. And horrible theme music. Yes. We'll say this about gender. His his theme that he got when he was getting the push is a banger. I you can't you can't very good. No, no two ways about it. It's a banger. Uh, and we appreciate it. But yeah, um, it's uh, gender at 14. 15 is his kayfabe brother-in-law. Uh, the great Kali. I don't remember this being a thing, but apparently they're, they're putting over the fact that Kali is his uh, brother-in-law in kayfabe, of course, um, because they're the two Indian guys. So I guess they need to be associated in some way. Because all Indian um, people are related to each other, David. That's what they're trying to tell us. Yeah. It's not like there's like 1.3 billion of them, <laughs> you know? Yeah, they, the two Indian people, of course they're related. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah. Kali, Kali immediately tosses uh, uh, gender and also immediately tosses Ezekiel Jackson. Number 16 is Hunico rolling in on the back of a lowrider bicycle uh, <laughs> that is being piloted by Camacho, later known as Tongaloa from Gorillas of Destiny in new japan pro wrestling another uh you know not not great from a uh, racial sensitivity perspective there either um number 17 we got a run of these guys coming in we just had jerry the king lawler show up from commentary number 17 here's fucking booker t can you dig it sucker he comes in and he's geared up and the crowd i mean the crowd re- obviously responds big for booker Every, every, you know, he's, he's made like the rumble return a few times, but it always gets over. The crowd just loves Booker T. Um, and then we get the great Kofi Kingston spot of the night comes right here, which is him. And one of my all time favorites of these is him doing that handstand walk on the floor. So his feet don't touch. He it's walks simple. on the floor with his hands. Really cool. And then he, he caved his chest in this past year. Trying to do something. Oh my god, that that was just like the real indicator of how cursed this rumble was. When you saw them fuck up the Kofi spot, it was like, ooh, no, this is not good. This Dude sacrificed good. his chest to try and make that interesting, and he, oh my, I cannot even imagine slamming into the fucking barricade chest first like he did. Like, what was I? I, I want to know what was supposed to happen there. I, obviously, he was gonna like land on the barricade and like kind of hold on to it like a spider monkey, but like. What was the like next part? What what was like the the part after where he gets back into the ring? If Honestly, I, I'm t- kind of tired of them doing the Kofi spot. Like, you know, whatever. it's got to be unique. I it's because they really have to one up it every year, and I don't think that would have one one upped it at all. Like, it looked painful, like impact wise. But like, I imagine what it would have just been would he would have got himself up on the barricade, tight tight rope the barricade into the corner. And then jump from the corner barricade onto the stairs. Yeah, I just, I don't get it, man. I just don't get it. But this is one of the best ones they ever did. I mean, when you're talking about the Kofi, the Kofi uh, saving himself, this is one of the the all-time greats. Um, At number 18, just minutes after losing a world title chance, Dolph Ziggler. Not a fan, as we, we were talking about this before the show. Not a fan of a guy. You just challenged for the world title five minutes on this show, and you're in the Rumble. 
I'm sorry, buddy. Like you had your chance at being in the world title match at WrestleMania. You had to win tonight and you didn't. So better luck next year, buddy. You don't get to then be in the Royal Rumble after this. You're not Becky Lynch, your bets like this. Get the fuck out of here. Who do you think you are, Dolph? No way. Don't like it. Um, just they do this all the time. I just am not a fan of it. They think like we're going to be surprised when show, someone shows up in the Rumble and it's like, oh, yeah, they already wrestled today. But that, that, that always happens. That the only good happens. one was Becky. Becky coming in because Carmella got hurt. And Becky's like, put me in, put me in. And uh, Finley lets her go in and she wins the Rumble. Yeah. Well, that was A, because we got to see Finley on camera, which I always love. Bingo. And B, because Becky was like 35 times more over than like any of these people usually are. <laughs> this is also true. <laughs> yeah. But not a fan of this one. Number 19, out to a big pop. You know, we said that this was the 25th Royal Rumble. Here is the winner of the first Royal Rumble WWE Hall of Famer, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Uh, I I thought it was Big John Stud. No, it was Duggan. Did Stud win one, though? I think he won the second one. Let me look at my history here. But I'm pretty sure the first one was Duggan. And then I think Stud might have won the second one. Because, like, I, I actually, you know what? You're probably right. Because, like, Stud's always regarded as one of the ones where it's like, huh, that's a weird winner. Because every other guy, like, you look at the Royal Rumble, you're like, yeah, that's not surprising. Yeah. Uh, Duggan won the first one. Big John Stud won the second Royal Rumble. But, yeah, the 25th Royal Rumble match. And here is the winner of the first Royal Rumble match, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. He gets in there. He does a shtick. He's got the two by four. He does the USA chant. And he gets eliminated pretty quickly uh, by Cody Rhodes. And then Cody and Dolph team up. And they get rid of Booker, and they get rid of the great Kali. Number 20, well, we've had everybody from the commentary table except Michael Cole. Michael Cole is in this match now. Michael Cole takes forever to fucking get his shirt off and reveal that he's wearing a singlet. He's getting in the ring. He's going to fucking wrestle. And then at number 21, it's Karma, also known as Awesome Kong. Famous, legendary women's wrestler, uh, big star in TNA throughout the 2000s, was signed to WWE, had a very weird kind of aborted WWE run. Um, Look it up. It's honestly like a lot of bizarre stuff that would take too long to get into here. But she does get this spot in the Royal Rumble, gets a good reaction from the crowd too. She shows up at number 21. Cole is like, Ter- selling that he's terrified when karma shows up um just the third woman to participate in the royal rumble the men's royal rumble i believe china and beth phoenix were the first two um and then uh uh cole who is just stricken with terror on the side of karma entering the ring like steps over the top rope himself of his own volition and then booker and king uh, <laughs> hater, just a pure hater move here. Booker and King uh, come up in the commentary test and yank Cole off the apron. I love that. Uh, it really do be your own, man. It really do. It really do be your own. Uh, Karma then beats the shit out of Dolph and Karma eliminates Hunico before a Dolph comes out, comes back and eliminates Karma. So short, but pretty memorable appearance for Karma. At number 22, we get Sheamus. 
He very quickly eliminates Kofi Kingston for the match, and Kofi stays eliminated this time. At number 23, this is a, another big, like, kind of, you know, classic sort of rumble surprise moment. We get the road dog. You know, the crowd hears, oh, you didn't know, and they go crazy for uh, the road dog. And dude can work. Yeah, road, you know, to, to, to his credit, road dog gets in there, and he does all his shit and looks really good. So, and the crowd loved it. I wish, you know, you, you lose a lot of the effect of the road dog when he doesn't have a microphone in his hand doing his shtick as he walks out. But the crowd loved the road dog. Um, and he gets in there and he does all his stuff. At number 24, we get Jay Uso. Not Jimmy, just Jay in this match. Jimmy, who is wearing a sweater vest, comes out to like cheer Jay on as he goes out and then he goes to the back. So we only get one of the Usos. I don't know how they decided just one Uso, um, but we do get Jay in this match. Um, number 25, this is the US champion, Jack Swagger. Number 26, it's Wade Barrett who gets in there. He eliminates Road Dog. At number 27, uh, Harvard Law man, David Otunga. At number 28, to a very big pop, hometown boy in St. Louis, Randy Orton, who is immediately the favorite. Um, he gets rid of Jay, hits Barrett with an RKO. He gets rid of Barrett. And number 29 shows up. Lights go out. The light-up fucking uh, jacket. It's Chris Jericho, who had just recently returned to WWE. This is his first in-ring appearance since he showed back up in WWE for, I guess, what would have been like his last consistent run. I can't remember. He kind of was in and out very frequently. Like he showed up for, he would be there for a bit, gone for a bit. He had been gone for, I think, a couple years doing stuff with his band and had just come back to WWE. Um, so Jericho gets in there. And then at number 30, who's who's the last man in? It's the big show. Okay. Who Ooh. fucking... Yeah, crowd is uh, not. Crowd goes mild. Crowd goes very mild for the Big Show at 30. But uh, very quickly, Big Show helps clear the ring. Him and Sheamus team up to get rid of Swagger. Uh, Then he eliminates both Cody and Miz. And he gets rid of Dolph. So he gets rid of Cody, Miz, and Dolph, who are honestly the three guys who have carried this Mm -hmm. match from like really all the way through. And Show tosses all three of them in quick succession, like a fucking, you know, just sacks of potatoes, just gone. So now, final four is Chris Jericho, Big Show, Randy Orton, Sheamus. Uh, Orton eliminates Big Show, and then Chris Jericho comes up behind him and gets Orton. So very quickly, we go from four down to two. Which man is going to WrestleMania, Chris Jericho or Sheamus? And we get this little back and forth kind of mini match between Jericho and Sheamus. Um, a lot of near misses here. Sheamus barely hanging on. Uh, Jericho slips out and uh, clotheslines him over the top rope, hits him with a springboard drop kick. Sheamus is holding on by like one hand. Um, Jericho has him in the walls of Jericho at this point, but of course, no submission in this match. Um, Jericho hits a code breaker, goes for another one, but Sheamus catches him picks him up, dumps him over the top rope onto the apron. Jericho hangs on, but as he gets up and turns around, Sheamus, brogue kick, boom. Jericho lands on the floor, and Sheamus wins the Royal Rumble, and Sheamus is going to WrestleMania. Fireworks shoot off everywhere. 
And that's the end of the show. Congrats to uh, the the big Irishman, Seamus. So it was. Bo- this was a very well booked rumble even if, i enjoyed like, it a lot i thought it was a good rumble there was every reason for this rumble not to be great because l- l- listen to this list of guys that were in it like objectively if you hear these names like primo epico grand like they're they're good workers but like in terms of wwe storylines eh. mick foley at this point of his career ricardo well, I mean, this you can't you can't complain about mick foley being in the rumble i mean come on i know he's old but it's mick foley like the crap like he's only going to be in there for a minute like to get the but crowd. He, so here's and the do something and do something with Mr. Sacco. That's all he's there. It's for. not so it's he not so much a slight on Foley. The, just, just let me get through my list real quick. Primo, yeah. Epico, Foley, Ricardo, Jerry, Booker, Duggan, Cole, Road Dog, Ziggler, Show. Last two Ziggler Show already on the card. They've already wrestled. They should not be here. The other guys, yeah, there's a legend pop. Like there's always a good legend pop, but usually like. Think of like Edge or The Rock coming back. Guys that are still like kind of a threat to be relevant. I'm not really worried about a Booker T run here. I'm not really worried about a Duggan run here. I get there's a point of having a legend come back for it. But when you have so many of them and so many of these spots, you kind of like realize not only the fact like the reason why they did it is because they were low on people to put in the Rumble. Like you realize just how shallow that roster is. That is the thing about the Rumble, though. Yes, I, I do agree with you that, like, it isn't a strong indicator of how shallow the, the roster was at the time. That, like, when you do look through this group of guys that were in the match, like, there's only a few guys that you, like, you would see them come out and say, like, oh, they might win the Rumble. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, Seamus, sure, and he wins the Rumble, right? Uh, you know, Orton, sure. Jericho, sure. I guess Big Show, but I don't know. Not really. I can't see him doing it. Um, Huge guys never win the Rumble. This, this possibly if they have decided to push Wade Barrett this week, but realistically, no fucking way. Uh, maybe Miz. I, I I have a take later, but like, it's not so much they can't win. Like Hunico, Hunico is a perfect example of guy who should be in the Rumble, even though he's not going to win. Yeah, you need to. You still need to have these mid card guys there to fill it out and have like the you know the the Otunga. You know, it is a it is a it is a, I guess a mark of status to be in the Royal Rumble, but at the end of the day, like yeah, I mean you maybe only have four guys in there that are uh, real threats to win, right? And that is a, a negative indicator of like where the roster was at the time. But the point of the Rumble to me is not who's going to win the Rumble, right? How many times have we seen someone winning the Rumble actually be used as a real springboard to them being a real main eventer? It has happened for sure. It happened, I thought, very effectively with Drew McIntyre a couple of years ago. We mentioned that already. It happened very effectively with Batista. I, I think it happens here with Sheamus, although Sheamus was never like on that level, really, but had a strong run as a main eventer. Champion I thought Sheamus had already won WWE champion by this point in his career. I, I think he was still not like established at that level yet, though. I mean, like this kind of helped kind of solidify his place, in my opinion. Fair. But because he still hadn't been in WWE main roster that long. But yeah, I mean, I think he had won the WWE title once by this point. But like, 
the like people talk about the rumble as like a way to elevate stars. I feel like it's not really used that way all that often. But like so like the point of the rumble doesn't become like when you acknowledge that it's like the point of the rumble isn't really who wins the rumble and what they do with the person who wins the rumble. It's the friends we made along the way. Mm-hmm. What are you going to remember the most about a specific rumble? It's like, oh yeah, fucking that was like, honestly, the thing that I remembered the most about this rumble when I looked at it was, oh, this was the year when they had all the commentators be in it. Yeah. And they all like stood up from ringside, you know, and they all got in there and all got tossed out and bickered about it. Like that was the thing I remembered the most. There are a lot of those moments. I will like, that's kind of like the credit I'm giving them is the fact that even though you have all these guys who really aren't super relevant or like important in any kind of way, they make them useful throughout the match. Like they each have a place to move the match forward. Like everyone, like this is a case of people punching above their weight class, I would say. Yeah. I mean, but like, that's the thing. Like, when you watch the Royal Rumble, like, w- like when you're in the process of watching a Royal Rumble, I feel like not that many people are thinking about like, oh, who's going to win? Because you know that like WWE main event booking, they're going to do whatever yeah. the fuck they do, right? Like Shinsuke Nakamura in 2018. Oh yeah. Could that have elevated Shinsuke and, you know, become a champion and be a big star? Sure. Was it, did, it, did that happen? No. Because WWE was going to do whatever the fuck they were going to do. But like, so when you realize that it doesn't actually matter, uh, you watch, the reason why you're watching the Rumble is like for those fun moments, for those unexpected people to show up and do cool shit, you know, for those return pops, for those legends appearances, for these like sort of funny moments interspersed throughout the match. And I think that is what this match delivered on very Mm -hmm. strongly. So that's that's why I'm not like, you know, uh, like concerned about like, oh, well, you know, the roster wasn't great and we only have a few people who are actually like, you know, uh, threats to win. Uh, I don't give a shit about no, that. I, like, I, yeah, you know, it's, you know, you, you need to have someone like Epico show up in this match because someone's got to take Mr. Sokka, buddy. <laughs> that's, that's fair. And I'm not trying to like, this is not me poo-pooing it. This is just like an observation. I do have poo-poos, though, if we, if we would like to go down the poo-poo hole. Let me, let me sniff your poo-poo, Ange. Uh, one, so, like, again, I mentioned Sheamus had already been WWE champion. It seems like the crowd wasn't super, like, enthralled with Sheamus winning. I don't, like, the pop wasn't that great. And you have Chris, a, a relatively recent return in Chris Jericho. I have a lot of questions why Jericho even debuted before the Rumble. Why you would yeah. have him come out, have the lights go entirely black, like the blackout in the arena, and then you have Jericho's jacket come up. And like, that should have been a sellable moment. And the fact that you already announced that he was back before the Rumble just completely ruins it in my eyes. It's so stupid. And the announcing team no-sells him coming back. No-sells it at all. 1,000% agree with you. That would have been so much more effective if that was his return, was the lights go out and you hear break the walls down. The crowd would have fucking gone up for it. But the crowd knew he was coming and they knew he was, it's 29, so they know he's going to be one of these next two guys. So they're expecting it. They're not surprised. You know, it's not nearly as big of a pop. It's a pop, obviously, but like it's not nearly as big as it could have been. 
And I would say Jericho should have won. Like, I kind of think, like, you have the guy returning. And not that saying Jericho needs to be, quote unquote, legitimized. But, like, he's the returner. He kind of should be the guy that people are getting excited about and, like, drawing to. Like, he's a returner. There's a lot of intrigue there. Sheamus, you know, this is not like the Sheamus. I love Sheamus. I think he's, like, a good example of, like, a Triple H type in this era. Um, But no one was super excited for him and you could kind of put him in against Daniel Bryan anyway, which he faced Daniel Bryan at mania uh, without him winning the rumble. I think Jericho punk really gets elevated by having Jericho be the rumble winner on this return. And if you don't announce that of time, like that should have been print money for moment instead. It's like, Oh yeah, we kind of like knew he was coming and then the announce team did not help whatsoever in terms of selling Jericho being back for the rumble just yeah piss poor performance I, I i i you know what i feel like a lot of your points that you make i don't agree with i agree with you here i'm gonna i'm gonna pretty wholeheartedly agree with you on this on this uh this this thread that you're uh, going with and the last small one i pre i really appreciate what they did with cody and the miz i think like those two guys carrying this match for as long as they did was perfect especially miz a guy who people always gave shit to as like you're not a real wrestler Cody gets legitimized here because he got every uh, he got every legend elimination except one. And so he's kind of building up that heel heat of like taking out the stars of yesteryear. Instead of Big Show being the last four, it should have been Cody Rhodes because that's kind of like that little bit of a rub thing. Like he doesn't have to win the match. But like if Cody's there in the last four, you're like, oh, so Cody's important now. As opposed to like he gets tossed out unceremoniously by the Big Show with the Miz. So like Cody's having this huge run. And he doesn't even get his own elimination. Yeah, I I agree with you there. That was another thing I didn't love was the fact that really throughout this whole match, you know, Co- like Cody and the Miz out of everybody in this match, they do the most heavy lifting of anybody in this match. These two guys really, in a lot of ways, carry the whole balance of this match through to the end. And then Big Show shows up and just tosses it. You always have that like final four moment in every Royal Rumble where you get down to the last four and they all kind of pick a corner and they stare off at each other. And you're like, all right, one of these guys is taking home the Rumble. You have like, they have that moment in every single Rumble ever. And it's great. Always. Yeah. One of those, one of those two guys at least should have been in that. You know what I mean? One of those two guys should have fucking been in that spot. I wish, I wish they had given it to one of those two. I, I think it is disappointing that they get fucking doinked by Big Show, who, again, just failed to win a world title two hours before this. And in my opinion, that disqualifies him from, you know, then getting another chance to be in the fucking, you know, WrestleMania match. You already had your chance if you had won this fucking match and you didn't. So sucks to be you, big guy. Come back next year. But no, like... This you guy, have, who we already just saw lose a world title match. Gets them both. You should never see the same guy twice on any wrestling programming unless there's a good storyline reason, and there's very rarely a good storyline reason. I, I feel like, yeah, I, I, I'm not against, like, someone wrestling earlier in a Rumble, a Rumble show and then being in the Rumble, but I just, I, like I said, I feel like if you challenge for a world title on that show, just logically, 
buddy, you had your chance. Sucks to be you. Like, again, you know, the, the point of the Royal Rumble is to win the title shot at WrestleMania, right? To, to, to be in this title match at WrestleMania. Well, you'd be in that title match at WrestleMania if you won your title match tonight, but you didn't. Well, back of the line. Back of the fucking line, big guy. But he gets in there and he tosses the two guys that carried the match. And I didn't like that. Didn't like that. That'll lead us right in for two and a half marks. Angelo, we'll get him. My half mark is going to Santino Morella because just like the dude is comedy gold. Like him and R-Truth being on the same show feels like it should be illegal because both of those guys, their comedic timing is impeccable. And Santino here is just fantastic. The stare down with Mick Foley. I was rolling with every Santino moment. I love the fact that he just kind of unceremoniously makes Ricardo look like the Jamoki is. And it's just all sorts of perfect with Santino. I do, I, I will say this, I cannot wait until we get Royal Rumble 2011 because I need to see the holy shit, Santino could win the Rumble moment. The crowd that, legitimately gets really excited. Oh my for God. The idea I, of Santino winning would have been amazing, but alas. Does not happen, and rightfully so. But God bless Santino Morella, just a guy who's had who had a fascinating WWE career from start to finish, and was always entertaining. Uh, my negative one mark. You kind of talked about like how the Rumble isn't made for making guys, but I have a negative one mark for not making a guy at the Rumble. Like, sure, maybe you're legitimizing Sheamus's career because this is like one of those things you kind of throw on the resume as you're talking about a guy's history. Is like, oh, he won the Rumble. Like, that's an accolade you give a guy. But, like like I said, Jer- you didn't even legitimize Jericho, but, like, he would have been a good Royal Rumble winner. I think Orton winning his hometown would have been a good Royal Rumble winner. I think either Wade or Cody, two, guy- two of the younger guys that were getting more of a push, would have been cool Rumble winners. Or having the Miz of all people go from 1 to 30 and win the Rumble also would have good- been a good moment. Sheamus winning felt like a safe option that no one really kind of gets excited for, but no one's going to be mad at. Like, Sheamus winning makes sense. He's Sheamus. And, like, you do throw that accolade on the resume, but it wasn't a legitimizer. It wasn't, like, a needle mover. Like, I like to have my needle move at the Royal Rumble, and that really wasn't moving my needle. And then finally, my negative two marks. It's making featured guys on your programming look like Jamokes, and this is going towards Cena, Kane, Zack Ryder, Dolph Ziggler, Cody Rhodes, and The Miz. Cody Rhodes and The Miz because they got thrown out unceremoniously by Big Show after having an amazing rumble. You could have this amazing rumble match with Miz and Cody and Big Show just tosses them out like no big deal. They don't even get their own moments of elimination. They get thrown out together. Dolph Ziggler, he gets circles wrestled around him by CM Punk and is the third most important guy in his match after John Laurinaitis. We talked about Zack Ryder getting buried under 12 feet of concrete by Kane. And I don't think Kane looks good from this either. Cause you have this Kane back in the mask. I always thought like young Kane makes sense. And then he unmasked and then he's this bald psychopath that I think has a super intimidating look. And then when he goes back to this, I think he loses a lot of that intimidating. Like, it's just like, okay, cool. Now it's just rehashed Kane. And it's just not as like enthralling. And then John Cena as a guy who cannot defend Zack Ryder from Kane, who like Kane had a great career, but he was never on the level after 1989 like John Cena was like booked. So everyone there looked bad on this show 
and those are six guys who were frequently on programming. Not a good look. Not a good look. Making your guys look like Jamokes at the Royal Rumble. So I'm going to give my half mark to, or my negative half mark to putting the mask back on Kane. I already talked about it a little bit, but I feel like the original Kane presentation when he first showed up was fantastic. Mm -hmm. Him, this big jacked monster under the mask. I mean, just the mystery of who he was, uh, the mystery of his origin. Like, so there's something very compelling about it. And then we, we learn that he's, you know, he takes the mask off. And we find out that, oh, yeah, he was uh, Dr. Isaac Yankum DDS. What, you know, <laughs> like all that shit. But like, I, I never understood the point of putting the mask back on him. I, I, I don't know if it was just like a pure nostalgia thing. Um, it was like, this is when Kane was hottest. But I always liked unmasked Kane. He had kind of a properly creepy looking face and a great theme song. I feel like it was kind of an unnecessary downgrade when they went back to the mask. Um, and I just, I didn't think it was necessary and I, I never really understood it. Um, I'm going to give my one mark to low key rumble MVP performances. Um, they didn't really have a good one this past year, but obviously in 2012, uh, the Miz, you know, doesn't win, doesn't even make the final four but goes 45 minutes in this match and is one of the guys that carries this match all the way through to the end. And then Cody uh, comes in at number four, lasts towards the end again, doesn't get to the final four or anything, doesn't get that spotlight on him, but goes over 40 minutes in this match. And you said something about Cody not getting like any eliminations? No, I, no, no, he eliminated every legend in the match. Okay, yeah, I, I thought you said something about that. Yeah, Cody Rhodes low-key get six eliminations in this match, which is a pretty good fucking number, you know? I said Cody didn't uh, get his own elimination, like he, his oh, own elimination. Okay, I got you, I got you, I got you. Yeah, he kind of gets tossed at the same time as the Miz, very unceremoniously. But, you know, it, it's a shame that those guys didn't get kind of their own spotlight on them at the end, which I think they really deserve. But these two guys put in a fucking shift in this match. And... Uh, you know, it, it feels like most years, if you really look at it, you can find one of these guys that goes in there and just carries a fucking load all the way through the match. And they don't always get the, the acclaim at the end, but when you see one of them, give them, give them a little golf clap from your chair. Uh, I'm going to give my two marks to generations colliding. This is, I'm referring specifically to Mick Foley and Santino. That, that <laughs> to me is the single most electric thing to happen in this match. But it is exactly the kind of moment that the Royal Rumble is there for. You know, at one other point in wrestling, are you going to have the opportunity to have Mick Foley and Santino Morella be in the same ring? Much less the same sentence. Have this moment where you're doing, you know, the old sock gimmick that everyone loved versus the new sock gimmick that everyone loved. That is just such an easy, great, like character moment to put together that, you know, a hundred percent, the crowd is going to love. And it is only possible really at the Royal rumble. And again, that's what I'm saying. That is why we like the rumble. That is why we watch the rumble is for shit like that. And it's a perfect example 
of of this right here, the 2012 Royal Rumble, Mick Foley and Santino, the Cobra versus Mr. Sacco. I just was grinning ear to ear watching this the other day. And the crowd just went crazy. And again, that, that is why we watch this shit. That is why we like the Rumble. So that is, that, well, that will wrap up our coverage of Royal Rumble 2012. So next week will be episode 80 of this podcast. Haters cannot believe that we've done this fucking thing 80 times, ladies and gentlemen. They are absolutely apoplectic. Wait, you guys did this 80 times? 80 fucking times. And as we usually do uh, when we hit a round number, we like to go away from the randomizer, pick something else, um, and uh, just kind of see, you know, kind of just pick something else and uh, watch something completely different, not on the randomizer. Something not WWE, not, you know, WCW, whatever. Oh, this is definitely and not WWE. I'll tell you that much. That's not fucking anything. Let me tell you. <laughs> uh, I was just really in the mood. Yeah, I feel like a lot of times when we do this, we we tend to, like, want to watch something, like, different and, like, really good, right? Because we're wrestling fans. We like watching wrestling that's good. It's better than watching wrestling that's bad. Uh, like, we watched New Japan Dominion 2018 with the Kenny Omega fucking uh, two out of three falls match with Okada, right? One of the greatest matches ever. We watched uh, a TNA Unbreakable 2005 with my favorite wrestling match of all time. Uh, we watched some good stuff on these. Uh, we, I, I, but I was feeling something that's complete shit. I just wanted to watch a train wreck, and we have picked a train wreck. It is available on YouTube. Uh, Heroes of Wrestling. That's what we're going to be watching next week from 1999. It was an indie show. Uh, it, like an indie pay-per-view that was put together in 1999 that was going to feature like uh, like you know, beloved stars of like, you know, yesteryear of wrestling. It was supposed to kind of give them like a, a moment. Um, and it is regarded as quite possibly the single worst wrestling pay-per-view of all time. Um, I, I've read all about this and how much of a fucking incredible train wreck it was. Um, and I've never actually watched it. So I am extremely excited to see how insane this is. This is the one where uh, apparently Jake the Snake Roberts he was hammered and like pretended his the the snake was his dick <laughs> in the middle of the match and was like jerking off the snake like pretending it was his dick. This is this happens at Heroes of Wrestling. Um, has the match that uh, Dave Meltzer. Uh, called the worst match he has ever seen in his life. And Dave Meltzer has seen every wrestling match that has ever happened. So I'm, I'm just very excited to see some absolute dog shit next week. Heroes of Wrestling. Very excited. Vader, Terry Funk, Bam Bam Bigelow, and Honky Tuck Man were all approached but declined. Bockwinkle advertised but did not appear due to WWF-owned trademarks Yokozuna. And the Bushwhackers were uh, referred to with the affix former in all advertising. Yeah. If that wasn't um, obvious to why it was a bad idea, just wait. That's the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Just just let me know that this is uh, going to be an interesting fucking ride. So, yeah, next week uh, we're going to be watching the Heroes of Wrestling pay-per-view from 1999. Uh, so uh, until then, uh, here on the Two and a Half Marks podcast. My name is David Statman. Thanks, everybody, for listening.